It's in the cross of Christ that God has opened the way through His Son for us to come and have relationship with um, God the Father. Uh, Everyone, Jew and Gentile, every person, no matter what your uh, genealogy is, what your race is, God is making one new race, a third race, you might say, out of many races. And God has broken down through Christ. He has crushed that dividing wall of hostility, both between man and God and between uh, man and man, right? Or woman and woman or, or man and woman. Uh, bringing us to one another. He's brought us peace to everyone who is in Christ, making us one new man. And so Paul concludes this section. We're in the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at Ephesians chapter 2. would encourage you to open your Bibles there or your Bible app uh, so you can read along and, and see where we're going here. But uh, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're looking this week at 19 through 22. Last week we looked at 11 through 18. But I love verse, verse 18, which I won't have on the screen here for you just yet, but for through him, meaning through Jesus. I want you to see the Trinity here. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but all throughout Scripture we see uh, a perfect uh, Godhead here in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we see it beautifully here. For through him, Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we all come to the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit through the accomplishment that Jesus um, made for us on the cross. And so Paul concludes this section in Ephesians 2, 19 through 24. He uses a few metaphors. So Paul didn't take our English classes um, where you take one metaphor and you kind of carry it as far as you can, right? I mean, he goes all, all over the place with metaphors, and, and so that's okay. Um, and so he mi- mixes uh, three metaphors here, and he encourages Gentile believers that they are united in God's kingdom, God's family, and as God's temple being built up to the beautiful reality that God in the Spirit makes his earthly home or sanctuary uh, in the church where he takes up permanent residence as Lord. Now we say permanent, right? It's an already and not yet reality where he takes up his residence uh, in a way of display to the world through the church. Uh, But God uh, is beyond having a place where he dwells, right? God is omnipresent and um, all-powerful. And so he, he doesn't dwell in a temple made by hands, the Lord said, Paul said, but he dwells, as we'll see today, within his people. So Ephesians 2, we'll read together verses 19 through 22. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are excited to be able to delve into your word this morning. And Lord, we ask you to instruct our hearts uh, as we enlarge our minds to see more of who you are. It's never to be just our minds or thinking of just going after our affections, because our affections, if not 
bridled by the truth of your word would also lead us astray. Uh, and so, Lord, we, don't also, we also don't want to make this just a, a cognitive exercise. We're not studying a textbook. We are growing in our knowledge and our application of, of who you are. And we get to do so through your word, which is very much alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, through which you spoke through men to communicate the very words that you wanted your people to know about you. And it's that same spirit that indwells those of us who are in Christ. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you for who you are. And Father, as we look at your word today, we ask that you would help us understand uh, as a church family uh, and, of course, individually how you want us to leave here today being the body of Christ, the place where you have chosen to make your dwelling, the place through which you show your love to a lost and dying world. Thank you, Lord, for letting us be a part of building your kingdom. Help us to set our eyes not on the things of the world which are temporary, which are fleeting, which are deceptive, but capture our hearts this morning and help us to fix our eyes on things that are unseen, the unseen realities that are eternal, and we pray this all for the sake of your name. Amen. Amen. One of the things that we see here is that in Christ, we are fellow citizens in God's kingdom. Right out of the gates, he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. And I like this, so then. This is one of the things that Paul does. You'll see often in Paul's writings where he begins unfolding one truth about God after another truth after another truth. And then often he goes into these, um, these great doxologies, right? And this so then is, is not a great doxology necessarily, but it has that same flavor. This is not just a, a logical fact. This is not just the next bullet point in a statement of logic that he's making, an argument that he's unfolding. He is excited to keep telling them who they are. He's saying because of what Christ has done, remember, he's already told them, remember who you were as individuals. Now, remember who you were as a Gentile people and see how God is using that, uh, or, or, or uh, let me rephrase, uh, and see how God is continuing to unfold that what he is doing in your life as individuals impacts and makes its way out through who you are as a group of people. Uh, and, and so in, in so doing that, he gets to this place where he's saying, you're no longer this, but... I can't wait for you to see the rest of this. So then you are no longer aliens and strangers. It's one thing for many individuals to have access to the same thing, right? Uh, Sherilyn and I have a, a Sam's Club membership, right? So we're like, we're, the, we're in the club. Yeah, buddy. And I get to heaven. So what'd you do while you're on earth? I was in the club. It is as ridiculous as it sounds. That's the right laugh. 
uh, I, we have access to the same uh, discounts or whatever. I don't know. I, didn't, I can't carry this too far. But we have access to the same, uh, same products, the same supplies that uh, thousands of other people have, hundreds or thousands of people in this area have at this uh, local Sam's Club, right? Or if you live in somewhere else where there's a Costco or whatnot, whatever the case might be. But I'll tell you what, we don't get together. We were there yesterday and we don't get together with everybody in the store. We don't like group up and be like, hey guys, come here. Everybody come in for a group photo. Like we're all in the same membership here. We're all in the same club. No. Why? Well, we're just individuals who've purchased a product. But God says, brothers and sisters, or children, he says, you're not just individuals who share access to the Father. You don't just all get to come by your own roads to get to the Father. You are being built up into one another. You're no longer strangers and aliens, uh, those who have no home in this world, but you are fellow citizens, fellow citizens. So I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm excited about this, but um, He's drawing out this beautiful reality of what it means for all of us, people who are not brought together by our family tree necessarily or brought together by our hobbies necessarily, but we're brought together in Christ, right? When the Lord, we sang this morning, Lord, lead me to the cross, right? And then what the Lord does, he leads us through the cross as a people together to the Father. And, and as we go through the cross, as we come together under the headship of Christ, we recognize that we're no longer these things. We're no longer strangers and aliens, right? He says, you are no longer. That's plural, uh, but, it's, but it's, uh, it's plural intentionally. It's like saying all of y'all Gentiles, right? All of y'all are no longer, that's very proper grammar, I know, but uh, all of y'all are no longer strangers or aliens. And so he uses these two words to communicate this one idea. A stranger is someone that's from another tribe, someone that's from another country, and Paul has just spent some time reminding them that they were, in fact, strangers to the promises. They were, in fact, aliens to the commonwealth of Israel. And so he expresses this both in the negative and in the positive. So he says, you are no longer this. You are no longer strangers in God's kingdom. You are no longer aliens in God's kingdom. An alien is someone who lives within new borders, but their citizenship is somewhere else. Their citizenship is elsewhere. And so though they live within those borders, they don't have the same rights and privileges that a citizen of those borders has right? So he says, this is no longer who you are. You are no longer strangers in God's kingdom. You are no longer aliens in God's kingdom. And now he moves to the positive, but you are citizens, fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You're not, you're not merely citizens, brothers and sisters, look around the room. You are fellow citizens. 
your fellow citizens with one another's and with the saints who've gone before us. Listen to how he says this in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. Now, if you read verse 12, which we're actually not going to read this morning, but uh, you'll see that he's speaking uh, to a different audience. And so his language is a bit different uh, because he's telling those, uh, who, those Jewish believers to be careful how they act toward Gentiles. And here he's speaking to the Gentiles, but the same truth uh, is true for both of them. He says in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Once... You were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Now, wait a minute. I thought we weren't strangers or sojourners. Notice that the language he uses. In one context, he's saying, you, you, you are now fellow citizens of God's kingdom. And in First Peter, he's reminding them, you are strangers, you are sojourners, you are exiles to this world. So that, to bring in other illustrations that Paul uses as ambassadors for Christ, that he tells the Corinthian church, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of God who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You remember what he told these Gentile believers? You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But now, now you're no longer aliens. Now you're no longer strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints who've gone before. In Christ, number two, we are members of God's household. Now, this is the second of the third metaphor that he uses here. We are members of God's household. We're family. This isn't just about a, a political illustration. This is a familial one. We're family. We are God's children, which means we are brothers and sisters of one another. So it's not just the political uh, citizenry rights. It's the intimacy of, of family, the intimacy of home. Now that doesn't always strike the right chord with everyone. Not everyone has had a wonderful home upbringing. And so we have to recognize that uh, when, when he is using these metaphors, what he's trying to do is to try to bring out the best of what God intends for the family, the best of what God intends for citizenship, the best of what God intended for the temple. None of them are anywhere close to perfect. But in God's sense, we are, or in God's eyes, we are members of his household. We're family. We have an intimate relationship with the Lord. And because we're all connected to the same heavenly father, an intimate relationship with one another. You know what that means? As family, we can share our hurts, our habits, and our hangups with each other. We don't pretend like we're the family member that's got it all together. Right? We don't pretend that we're the one who has it figured out and the other family members, well, they're the uncle, whomever, that we, uh, we have to see at the family reunion, right? Because he's going to be there. If you don't know who that is in your family, <laughs> we are members of God's household. You know what else that means? We're members of one another. 
we're members of one another. Paul draws that else out elsewhere, but it's wonderful to be citizens. It's wonderful to be citizens with, with rights, but it's more wonderful to be family members. Listen to how John says it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, 1 John 3, 1, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, well, then you're a brother or sister. If you're sitting here and you are in religion, you're not a part of God's family. And boy, that sounds like it could be a really unkind thing to say, but in fact, it's the most loving thing to say because because you're invited into the family. You see, when God gave his son, he gave his son to pay the penalty for everyone who would come to him in faith. And that means saying, I'm not a part of the family because I'm, I'm out doing my own thing. I'm living my own way. But God says, come to me. You're burdened. Life is hard. You need rest. Come to me, Jesus said. Everybody who's weary and heavy laden or burdened or weighed down with a burden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. This life is hard enough in Christ. There is no hope. There is no real, concrete, joy-giving, life-satisfying hope if you are outside of Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you, you think you might be outside of Christ, I would implore you not to leave today without talking to someone that you know that can help you or come talk to me. I'd love nothing more than to talk with you about this. It's the most important topic in all of our lives. And I gladly spend all day talking with you about it. In Christ, he goes on to say we're the temple of the Lord. If we look at verses Uh, 20 and 21, he says that we are being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself, himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So the apostles and prophets are the foundation uh, of the church uh, through their teaching not simply because of who they were, but they were apostles. They were called by God, set apart to, to, to bring forward the message of the gospel, the message of salvation, that salvation is coming through Christ and, or has come through Christ and through Christ alone. And what we hold in our hands now is, is the inscripturated or the, the closed canon. These 66 books of the Bible that tell us that this is God's inspired word now. There are no new apostles who bring us authoritative messages. There are, or there, I should say there are no new apostles. There are no pastors. There, are no, there is no one else that comes with an authoritative word from the Lord that does not align with the word of God. Listen to how 1 Corinthians, how Paul describes this here. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 17, he says, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. 
Now, according to the grace given me, like a skilled master, ba- master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building on that foundation. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold or silver or precious stones or wood or hay or, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, meaning the day of judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. But if anyone's work is built up, built up, burned up, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So Paul and other apostles have laid this foundation, the foundation of God's earthly, movable, mobile temple, if you will, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. Salvation is only found in Christ. And everything must be built upon that. You and I, we are God's building, this metaphor he carries out. It's a building which, still, which is still under construction. It's a building that has to be, uh, needs continual help being built, right? It's a building that's going to be under construction until the day that the Lord comes to build a new heaven and a new earth. So until the day and I, you, you, until the day that you and I meet Jesus, the church, God's temple, God's building, the people of God will be continually being built up. I want you to hear how commentator Peter O'Brien describes it. He says, uh, he's talking about the word cornerstone. There's some data, debate over whether the word cornerstone means the kind of the cornerstone from a foundation standpoint or the capstone, kind of the, the crown jewel, if you will, of the building. And uh, in support of the fact that it, it means uh, the, the cornerstone, the foundation cornerstone, he says, Christ is the vital cornerstone on whom the building is constructed. The foundation and the position of all other stones in the superstructure were determined by him. He is the one from whom, um, the one from which the rest of the building and foundation is built outwards along the line of the proposed walls. And accordingly, the temple is built out and up from the revelation given in Christ with the apostles and the prophets elaborating and explaining this mystery, which has been made known to them by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to delve into that a little bit as we get into chapter three next week. Uh, I'm sorry, my voice is just really struggling today. So, Uh, but, but everything is built on Christ. Everything is supported in Christ and, and the lie or the shape of the continuing uh, formation of the structure must be in line, must be plumb with Christ as our foundation. If we begin building the church on on our theories of how we think it ought to work, I can't tell you how many times I hear things like, um, you know, well, I think the church ought to be like this. Well, I think we ought to do this. Well, I think, guess what? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. 
not because I'm the guy that, get, that, that has the privilege of being up here preaching God's word that I get to decide how this thing gets built. No, God's word is the only authoritative source, the only source that gives us the, 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 the rules, the guidelines, the blueprint we need to build God's church according to how he has designed it to be built. And we look at those plans sometimes and we say, oh, that part doesn't make sense to me. I think we ought to go over here with this. And God would say through his spirit, no. If you build that way, when you stand before the Lord, it's going to burn. We build on the foundation that Christ alone is our salvation. Christ in Christ alone is our only hope. And as God moves in his church through the Holy Spirit, as we minister to one another in personal ministry, we'll see God adding bricks and, and mortar. We'll, we'll see the structure continue to be built. But it will happen in ways that will dumbfound us. Because God builds his church on the foundation of Jesus Christ as his children and members of one another, citizens of a heavenly kingdom, surrender their will to the will of the Father. Because everything that we do is, is for the glory of God, as we've been seeing in, in Ephesians chapters 1 and 2 so far. And all of this matters as we begin to move into chapters 3 and chapters 4 through 6. For the rest of the book, surprise, as we're going to begin seeing some ways that God says, church family, this is how I'm calling you to live. And we go, well, I think if I just come to church like once every six weeks or, and I'm going to stop there. And I'll tell you the reason is I don't want to quantify it with some number that all of a sudden, if I say that that's the number he's happy with, it doesn't matter what I'm happy with. We don't need to think about coming to church. We need to think about how God has called us to be the church. We need to think about how God is growing us up, building us on the cornerstone of Christ so that we can minister to one another through one another in ways that we would never plan in ways that we would never draw up. And then we'll see a world who comes in and looks at these different people and says, how in the world is this thing growing? And we say, Jesus Christ is working through the Holy Spirit in these people. It's a living building. It's a living temple. Now I'm starting to get ahead a bit. I know I, I started to give, I just want to clarify this. It's, anytime we start to quantify something with how many times somebody comes to church or, or the activities, what I want you to know is this. It's not my aim to quantify that as much as to say, God says, don't forsake the gathering of believers. What does that mean? What well, means make being part of the local church a priority in your life? Why? Because it's about the Lord. And the, and, and, and the mess of your life and the mess of my life, God intends to edify or encourage or challenge or give hope to one another. We often come to church, I'm really off right now, but we really, we often come to church and we come in thinking about how, how the music's going to sound to me or how the preacher's going to sound to me or if this text seems relevant to me rather than walking in the doors. I, we had a great deacon and elder meeting yesterday and we were just kind of scan, you know, doing a survey of part of, of, of Ephesians. But one of the things that we see in Ephesians is that God is God who spoke the world into existence 
has allowed us to build others up. Like actually build, build others up. That's a verb. Through our speaking, through our words, we can build others up and we can give grace. You just think about that for a minute. You. Whatever's going on in your life, you can can come into these walls. It doesn't have to be in here, by the way, but and you can, you can give grace through what you say and how you say it. Did you know that? You can extend God's grace and mercy. You know, sometimes that happens through a word that's challenging too. Not always just encouraging and nice. But in love, we, we speak the truth to one another. And God uses our words that are in line with his word to minister to the lives of others. And in so doing, he builds up his church. He builds up his people. But that only happens as we walk in these doors and we say, this is not about me today. This isn't about me today. This is about glorifying God as I minister to brothers and sisters in Christ. Everything is built on Christ, supported in Christ. And we don't want to build a church on our own understanding. And fourth, we see that in Christ, we are being built into God's new home. Now, that's an elaboration of that we are God's new temple. But when you put all of these things together, we are fellow citizens. We are members of one another. We are, we are uh, the temple of the Lord. And we are being built into God's new home. We are being built. We're not built and it stops. As time goes on, we are continually growing into the shape of who God would want the building to be. In chapter 4, he's going to talk about how we're growing up into the body of Christ. And there's an interesting phrase there in verse 15 or 16. Well, it's, I don't know the verse offhand, but hey, guess what? I have my Bible here. Where he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body. So you see how Christ is the cornerstone. We're talking about foundation pieces. Now when he switches metaphors to the body, Christ is the head of the body, the church, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, everyone who is a part of the local body of Christ. Now, this is talking about the church, capital C, on a grand uh, worldwide scale, but God has chosen to make that manifest in the local church. So the application, we make no apologies for saying that, well, I'm a part of the, the big capital C church, so I don't have to be a part of a local body of Christ. Well, that would just be contrary to what God's word says. We're to be active and engaged in our local church. So with every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body so that it builds itself up in love. Sometimes love is coming and bringing a word of encouragement. Somebody that's downcast and we sustain others as we encourage them. Sometimes the Lord calls us to to humbly take the log out of our own eye so that we can see clearly in love to help another remove the speck from their eye. And that is part of how God uses the body to build itself up in love. 
being built into God's new home is really the, the, the function of what this looks like. In, in, in Solomon, uh, when, when uh, the temple is built and, and Solomon is blessing the Lord in 1 Kings 8, he's, he is talking about the Lord uh, finding his home or dwelling with the people as they bring the ark into the temple. But then later in the chapter, he refers to God's eternal heavenly dwelling. And so we know that God's temple, God's dwelling is, no, is not in a, any sort of a physical concept. We know that eternally, God's dwelling is not in the earthly local church. But in this season, while the local church is here and ministering, before God makes a new heaven and a new earth, God's dwelling in the Spirit is in the local church. And that means that how we live, how we speak, how we act, how we relate personally and to one another, matters greatly. There's a lot going on culturally right now that has to do with citizenry and aliens and strangers and borders and legal immigrants or illegal immigrants. I hope that we're not more concerned about amendments, about rights and privileges for this country where we're honestly, we're very blessed to live. But I do hope that we recognize that the benefits, the privileges of God's eternal kingdom far outweigh any benefit than living in the United States of America. I pray that we would be more concerned with bringing others into God's eternal kingdom than we are Defending the rights of our earthly nation. And as Christians, the way we speak about these issues, the way we talk about these issues, don't they matter greatly for how we would communicate to one who's both outside of God's eternal kingdom as well as outside of the United States of America? God is making one new race from many, many, many races. God is building up his kingdom as he dwells in the church, his new home, the Apostle Paul says. In Christ, in him, you, church, specifically Gentiles, also, right? With, with the Jewish people of old, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. As those who are fellow citizens in God's kingdom, as those who are uh, members of one another in God's household, as those who are growing together in God's, into God's temple being built up, we, every one of us, needs to be active in building the local church where God's Spirit dwells. Brothers and sisters, that is to be the priority of our lives. It doesn't mean don't have hobbies. It doesn't mean don't have other interests. It doesn't mean don't go on vacation and see your family. But what it means is during the, 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 the large swaths of everyday living, the local church is our priority. We give our lives to see the Lord working through and building up the local church, and you get to be a part of it. 
It's the most wonderful thing in the world to be a part of seeing somebody grow up in the faith. And you say, well, I don't know how. Well, we'll equip you. I promise you, we will equip you. You will not not do ministry because you're not equipped or because we won't equip you. I don't mean we'll do it right all the time. So I guess you have to let us know how that goes. But God is calling us, right? If chapter four says that's why he gave the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, pastors and teachers to build up the saints for the work of the ministry. There's no greater joy than to see the light bulb come on when somebody begins to open the word and, 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 and understand something that they didn't think they would ever understand. There's no greater joy than to be a part of seeing a child begin to understand that though their father may have left, they have a perfect heavenly father who will never leave. Though their mother may not live with them, they have a family of God that will come around him, spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters who will enfold them as God's adopted children. We're all adopted into God's family if you're in Christ. And brothers and sisters, this is a wonderful privilege. Now, there's a challenge because if you're not actively living committed and contributing to the local body of Christ, I do want to challenge you. It's not out of unkindness, but it's out of love. Not because of what you're not doing, but because of what you're missing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's hard. There's great challenge along the way, but the Lord says, don't fix your eyes on what is seen because it's a mess. Oh, wait, don't fix your eyes on what is seen because it's temporary. I'm pretty sure it's a mess is somewhere in there, but Fix your eyes on what is unseen because it's eternal. And if I may, it's perfect. It's eternally perfect, eternally wonderful because he's eternally wonderful. You know, as we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, um, we hold in a cup this little piece of bread and this little amount of juice. And what we see in that is that when Jesus left his perfect forever home in heaven. And he was born of a virgin so that the full holiness of God would dwell through him. And yet he would live every moment making all of the right decisions, all of the right words he would say, and we refraining from saying things that were sinful or thinking things that were sinful. We're reminded that Jesus came to earth temporarily as this bread is temporary. This juice is temporary. The church in its manifestation here is temporary, but it does cause us to look forward to a future body, a future meal, a future eternal celebration of the goodness of God. And so I invite you, if you are in Christ, I invite you this morning to come and to to celebrate. You may have gotten distracted with the temporary things of the world. They may have become uh, the main thing that you can see in your life right now. And so you may need to take some time and just confess your heart to the Lord. You know, the beautiful thing about confession is it's worship. In a lot of ways, the way we come to Christ, our first act of worship is confession. Lord, I confess that I'm not perfect. And therefore, I have no right to eternal heaven. 
but you are. And you've invited me. You've called me to draw near. And so I trust you for my salvation. And you may need to do that this morning. Or you may be a Christian who needs to go to the Lord and confess some sin to the Lord. We invite you to do that. We're going to move around in a few minutes and we have a, a station up here, a station on the right and two stations in the back. We want to give you an opportunity to move around. You may have something that you need to make right with another member of God's household, another brick in the building. There may be someone that you would want to use your words to build up. Someone that you may want to use your words to give grace to this morning, to encourage someone that's downhearted or downcast. All of these things and many more are part of what it means to be members of God's household as God's new home. Let's worship him together as we celebrate God's sacrifice of sending his son that we might enjoy, that we might receive all of the benefits and privileges out of what it means to be God's new home. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are because you are uh, eternally perfect in every way. You are righteous in all that you do. And Lord, the, the reality that you have made a way that those who were your enemies, actively your enemies, could be made right with you. If we receive nothing else in this world that is good, that is good enough. And Father, we pray that you would bring our hearts to that place. Because even as I pray this in front of my church family, I know that I don't always feel it. I shake my fist at you at times when I disagree with how you've chosen to allow my life to unfold. Because I get focused on things that are temporary and I become selfish. And you're so patient and kind. Help us celebrate this morning. Help us pray honest prayers of, of confession, of thanksgiving, of intercession for one another. And Lord, we pray that at the work you're doing in this local body, that we would be found imperfectly faithful, that we would live for the cause of your glory, that we would circle our lives around your purposes for us. And some of it takes place within these walls and with these people all sitting together and worshiping together in this context, but much of this ministry takes place outside of these walls. So may we not become consumed with buildings and walls, but acknowledge that while we meet here today as your new home, it's not these walls that make your home. It's these hearts these lies that you have chosen to indwell. And so we give you praise and we ask you to move, animate yourself through us as we have the privilege of being a demonstration of enduring the trials of, these life, of this life as Jesus did to others who have not seen Jesus in person. Help us to be a faithful home, a faithful body, a faithful family to one another so that a lost and dying world would see what an incredibly wonderful Savior you are. In Jesus' name, amen.